Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 16 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with IT modernization programs and strategies in the federal government. With me on today's show are George Duchak, Chief Information Officer, Defense Logistics Agency, Robert Leahy, Chief Information Officer at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, Jim Watts, PMIS Program Manager, Performance Management Group at TSA, Lamont Copeland, Director of Federal Solutions Architect, Verizon, Stephen Moon, Data Platform Architect, Office of the Field CTO, Snowflake, and Katie Tierney, AVP Digital Services and Operations Management of the Americas at BMC Software. Well, this is a, a, a very timely subject. We've got a TMF out there with a billion dollars. We've got an executive order that's uh, requiring us and asking us and encouraging us to, uh, to modernize and, and harden our environments. Got a lot of zero trust activities going on out there. And I think all of us realize that the, uh, the, the, when we modernize, we, we address the security issues and we also deliver that promise to, uh, to, our, to our end environment, whether that be the citizen, uh, the astronaut in this case, the warfighter, et cetera, et cetera, the, the traveling public. George, let me start with you. Uh, give us the state of state of how uh, IT modernization is going. Maybe a little bit on, uh, you know, how big is Defense Logistics Agency? I can't imagine the massive footprint that it must be global, right? It, it is a global organization. We're in uh, about 23 countries, 46 states, roughly 27,000 employees, and uh, our annual revenue is about uh, $43 billion, uh, a year. And we are a working capital fund. So we, uh, unlike other uh, DOD organizations where they work on appropriations, we have to operate much like a regular business does. We have to uh, uh, buy products at scale and then pass those savings on to our customers, largely the services and other government agencies, and then put a small operating uh, uh, load on each one of, you know, on everything we sell just to cover our operating costs. So uh, yes, a global organization. Very much a global organization. I would say, you know, 23,000, that's pretty lean and mean for a global organization that's serving essentially millions of folks out there and it's certainly a very sizable budget. Uh, Robert, how about at NASA? Maybe you can tell us, first of all, what is Goddard Space Flight Center versus Kennedy Space Flight Center or Langley or, you know, uh, Wallops Island, et cetera, et cetera. And then tell us, you know, uh, how are we modernizing space and everything on the ground associated to space? Hey, Luke, good morning, everybody. Uh, NASA Goddard Space Flight Center is one of 10 centers uh, around the country that support various NASA missions. Goddard focuses on sciences, planetary science, um, heliophysics, earth sciences, et cetera, uh, and has one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, concentration of scientists in the world. We service about 10,000 customers, uh, very much focused on science. And of course, to conduct that science, we use satellites. So we have over 80 missions, satellite missions uh, around the earth, um, out into deep space, et cetera, where we're collecting information and bringing information back to allow our scientists to do the work that they're doing. Uh, for us, modernization means use, using uh, various uh, cloud technologies, et cetera, to advance and move forward on our missions to give them a better operating platform. We have missions, for example, Hubble spacecraft, uh, um, Hubble, uh, space telescope that's been um, in orbit for 30 years now. Uh, so we've got to continue to modernize those ground systems to support Hubble. That's impressive. I didn't realize it was 30 years. And I, I know that you all are uh, got other uh, 
uh, massive telescopes in the pipeline there. Robert, how about at, or excuse me, Jim, how about at TSA? Uh, the traveling public is ramped up and ready to go. I know there's a lot of activity going on over there. A lot of things that were discovered and uh, tested, as I understand, during the COVID process. Tell us about what's happening as far as IT modernization. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the question. There's been a great deal of focus on migrating applications and systems from data center two to, uh, to the cloud. We've actually been able to use that as an opportunity to upgrade and really modernize things like Office 365 and the emails and iShare, we're working on that. We're also using this as an opportunity using and applying the federal data strategy to see how we can leverage data across the agency and create those key data sets. So this is really helping us um, improve operations. You mentioned data center two, just uh, maybe an explanation as to what that is. Folks may not know, understand what data center two means. Certainly it is a physical location that uh, is actually managed by the Navy. And for a number of years, TSA and other components of home, Homeland Security um, house their applications there. Uh, there was an effort over the last several years to, to move out of that system mm -hmm. so, or out of that location. So we're able to, to meet those deadlines. And then in the process, as I mentioned, we were able to, if we had to move somewhere, we we're going to move in this case, a number of things to the cloud. Gives a, a great opportunity. Obviously there was a data center one, a data, I think some other folks on previous shows have talked about that and right. So you have sort of this, this uh, ecosystem of a hybrid environment out there now, which is, which is fantastic. Lamont, how about at Verizon? You all are seeing things from a, from a very broad perspective and it's, it's sort of game on now as everyone starts to modernize and uh, you know, the, 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 the Verizon ecosystem, such an important part of making that happen. Yes, Luke, thanks. Yeah, it, it is a very important part of that because what we want to do is make sure that we're partnering with every one of our, our fellow uh, people in the, in the federal industry to make sure that we're helping to bring that innovation, bring the, the change that's necessary to be able to, to um, bring in new technology, bring in these services, and, and also help keep it modern along the way. There's a lot of efforts that are going on with the government to try and modernize and then you know stay and keep the pace and actually help advance and move where technology is supposed to be going and where they would like to see it go and we want to make sure that we're helping part of that whether it's bringing things from a network side bringing in the cloud infrastructure bringing in 5g all those things to be able to say how do i advance the mission forward for what the what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis yeah it's really interesting to uh um you know modernize your environment that you're you're in and coming out of and and also take advantage of this emerging technology such as cloud such as 5g such as some of these hybrid uh, uh, techniques and, and toolkits and, and, and instrumentation that's available to make all these things happen. Speaking of uh, technology toolkits and capabilities, Stephen, Snowflake, such a big part of modernization, right? At the end of the day, it's about the data, right? I always say the, uh, the, the, the bad actors don't get into these environments to look around and see how cool it is. They get in there to get access to that data. And, and you all are doing some fantastic things in regards to processing, making that available so people can make informed decisions. Tell us what it looks like out there across the spectrum. Yeah, so I think one of the, the first trends I'm starting to see is, is more and more realization that uh, data operations, which is a lot of what I work with our customers with, is really an organizational capability. It's not an IT function, right? So it's, you know, IT is definitely a big component of it, but if you think about building a aviation platform in the army like a helicopter for example you know it's the the, the means 
is a, is a war fighting capability, not IT. And so I think more and more organizations are realizing that data operations is an organizational capability. But then I would say the second thing is, is organizations are looking at, you had you know, data warehousing and data lakes, and now you've got the, the, the term data mesh people have probably heard of. Um, but I think what they're realizing is, is having a, a single data platform that can cover you know, all the different types of data and the volume, velocity, variety and stuff coming in, having a single point of entry for that data, having a single security model for that data, all those things really not only enable the capabilities of your data operations platform, but also reduce the risk, right? The, you know, it's like complexity is the enemy of security. Um, and so being able to do that, having leveraging multiple clouds vendors, um, that's something that's really come about we're seeing a lot from from our customers is that you know they want that ability to not only leverage and run their data operations in multiple clouds but also to be able to share data and so there's some unique capabilities that snowflake has that allows customers to share data in a secure way um, that really can take advantage of that across their organization data in so many different places a lot of data being collected right there's a lot of instrumentation out there you think of iot etc all this processing that's happening at the edge and uh, being able to pull that together into some meaningful way. And again, make those uh, advanced quick decisions really important. Uh, well, Katie, speaking of instrumentation, uh, BMC very much involved in that along with a lot of other things, super important as these environments get more modern, get more complex, you've got to have advanced ways to make sure you're managing all this. Tell us what's happening at BMC software. Yeah, so at BMC, we're seeing our customers, particularly in the DOD space, moving sometimes begrudgingly towards modernization. We know that it's a, basically a government mandate now, but sometimes they're struggling with it. But when they are focusing on modernization today, they're looking really at three key areas. They're looking at automation, they're looking at a move to SaaS, and they're looking at consolidation. When you take a look at a lot of the organizations out there, particularly if you're thinking about enterprise service management, a lot of our DOD and civilian agency customers have service desks that are all over the place. And in order for them to modernize, they're realizing they've got to take control of that and bring that together. And the move to SaaS really fulfills that continual modernization. Because when you have things on premises, it's a lot easier for you to say, we're just not going to upgrade. We're not going to take advantage of those new capabilities. When you go into SaaS and you're looking at FedRAMP or you're looking at IL4, IL5, IL6, you're going to be taking advantage of those capabilities. And it's actually going to accelerate the modernization that the, the organizations are seeing. And we're seeing that with our customers who are in SaaS today. They really are able to adopt the innovation a lot more quickly, which makes them more modern from a, a an information technology perspective. And lastly, I talked about automation. Being able to automate things like system access authorization requests and things that used to take five or six or seven days and now having them down to five minutes has really helped drive modernization around our federal customers. Right, it takes a lot of those sort of rote processes off the table, makes them very uh, clean, modernized, automated and accurate, which I think is super important so that they can focus on some of these uh, these higher order activities. Speaking of higher order, gonna go back to you, Robert, at, uh, at NASA. Every time I turn around, there's another rocket going off. Uh, and you've, you've raised a good point and really uh, illustrated some of the other things that NASA is doing, some of the very important things they're doing in regards to the environment, et cetera. Give us a specific program that you'd like to highlight in regards to some modernization activity that's going on. It's really helping NASA fulfill its mission. 
So we started at Goddard about 18 months ago. We, we started a cloud program for our flight projects. As I mentioned earlier, we've got over 80 projects uh, that have uh, ground missions. And these, each one of these projects is, and I'll use the term, and it's kind of ironic with discussion today, a snowflake, right? Each one has been built up individually, et cetera, and they are run by the flight projects. We're providing platforms now to give them a migration path to move to a GovCloud, um, both hot, well, moderate FISMA, and we're, we're looking to build out a, a FISMA high environment um, because we have several um, um, projects that require that. This will give the projects the ability to um, upgrade their cybersecurity capabilities, use common controls and things like that. Um, actually, you mentioned TMF earlier. We've got a TMF proposal um, in right now that's uh, past phase one and going into phase two to uh, fund the build out of this infrastructure. So um, this is really providing that infrastructure layer to our projects um, and looking for commonalities and ways that we can provide um, baseline services that are um, consumable and highly secure and will um, support all of our projects. Consumable, highly, highly secure, um, affordable, and, yes. and there when you need it, right? I mean, so that you yes. can just put the building blocks on that and these uh, software development folks can just go, go and do the things that they need to do to sort of, again, to fulfill that promise. Uh, we talked about Snowflake. You mentioned it, Stephen. I'm going to jump down to you. Uh, give us a specific uh, program that you'd like to highlight uh, where uh, an agency, uh, an entity, a sector is, uh, is um, uh, modernized using this type of capability that you'd like to uh, bring to the listening audience here. Sure. I mean, I, I'll talk in generally probably data sharing is the biggest thing, um, mm -hmm. not only within, you know, specific CSPs, but across different cloud vendors, cloud service providers. Um, and so that's been one of the biggest things, not only data sharing, but secure data sharing, um, being able to set up data exchanges where, you know, I can give access to, from say like the science community, for example, right? I want to create data products for the science community. And I want to be able to share that with them, give them pretty much unlimited compute power to run their jobs, do, you know, do their you know, activities against that, without actually having to moving the data, pretty much instantaneous access to it. Um, so that's been a huge um, ask from customers that Snowflake's delivered on is being able to share data pretty much universally in a, in a secure way. Um, coming from the background that I do, um, security is you know, of the utmost importance, right? Because you don't have security, you don't have anything else. And so that's one of the key things that being able to you know, classify data and you know, provide different levels of security in different manners um, as part of that sharing context has been huge as well. Um, so there's a lot of things in that that, you know, we could talk about is, you know, making data fit for use and fit for purpose, if people remember uh, once upon a time with IDLE, um, but really integrating all of that into a single platform and sharing that in an instantaneous way that allows um, what I call communities of interest or consumers of that data, whether they be data scientists or geneticists, um, instant access to that data with pretty much unlimited compute um, in a concurrent way so that they're, you know, you can have large numbers, large teams, independent teams working um, without stepping over each other, so to speak. Right. And uh, super important to stitch all that together, a, a really uh, basic tenement to uh, a tenant of, of this modernization activity. George, let's talk about DLA. Uh, you gave us an explanation of sort of the global footprint. Uh, give us the state of the state of the IT program and maybe specifically highlight 
one of the activities that you're doing there that, uh, you know, is uh, addressing the, the needs of the warfighter. Yeah, I think uh, you may know that we're undergoing a fairly massive, a substantial upgrade to our uh, IT infrastructure, really first major upgrade in about 30 years. So uh, it's a, a huge lift for the uh, agency. But one of the examples I'd like to give, uh, and it may sound very trite or a small thing to your audience, is uh, simply change the name, though, from IT modernization to digital hyphen business transformation. Mm. You read a lot in the literature about, you know, uh, digital transformation. I haven't seen a whole lot that couples digital hyphen business that couples the two together. And uh, IT modernization uh, to digital business transformation, that coupling uh, is important. Uh, and it's more so than you think because words matter and IT modernization connotes an IT focus and an IT led initiative. And modernization really isn't about IT. It's about using IT to solve current and emerging business problems. So this means that the business needs to relook, uh, rethink its current business model. It has to be a partner with IT. Uh, they have to look at their business model and say, does this still make sense? We have different tools. Can we improve performance? So simply changing the name to this digital hyphen business transformation, we call it DBX uh, in DLA. Mm. Uh, it, it couples the business perspective to the digital perspective and the business now is a primary stakeholder and has a vested interest in the success of modernization rather than being on the sidelines thinking that oh it's just an IT thing right I think it's really important right to 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 let's start with the operator let's start with the warfighter let's understand what they need and then perhaps it's a business process maybe it's taking out some process and certainly it's gonna be introducing some type of techno technology at some point in time, but it's not, uh, hey, we're gonna start with the technology and then go find the problem. So exactly. Speak, right, which I think is very important. There's a lot, of, a lot of activity in that area and I think that's going really well. All right, we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Is your federal agency maintaining legacy IT, which could potentially be a cause for security risk? To serve the public with the security, speed, scale, and efficiency they have come to expect in the private sector, it's time to modernize. An expensive rip and replace is not the only way. Migrate your enterprise service desk to the AWS GovCloud with BMC for low risk, low cost, and a rapid time-to-market solution. Modernize with BMC in the AWS GovCloud. Visit bmc.com federal to learn more. Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future. We build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. 
Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about IT modernization. We were just getting into some specific programs. And Katie, I'd like you to highlight uh, an area that uh, you'd like to highlight for the, uh, for the listening audience in regards to a specific program that BMC is involved in. Yeah, absolutely. I have been really excited to be involved in this particular program for the last several years. We're supporting a DOD agency with over 300,000 active duty and 275,000 civilians. They had a, an issue where they had over 100 service desks throughout the organization that were trying to support various groups of warfighters, various groups of, of people back, um, back stateside. And they were struggling because there was just so much disparate information that it was making them hard, making it hard for them to deliver services in a timely manner and deliver services in a way that actually made sense for the mission. So what they did is worked with some systems integrators who leveraged the BMC Helix platform to pull those service desks together in an IL-4 environment mm. and actually deliver out, a, a, instead of a service desk, or to George's point about digital business transformation, instead of IT, they now have an enterprise service management platform that's modernized and is going to help them succeed in the future as they look beyond just IT. They look at how can we bring in some of the things from facilities? How can we look to the edge, which you mentioned before, Luke, and pull that information in? And they've got that platform now, and it's been a really exciting project for us to be involved in. Really a uh, key aspect of, of, of installing this type of capability way beyond just instrumentation and allowing them, again, to build on top of that, to create this superpower of an ecosystem to, uh, to uh, deliver the goods, so to speak, and and allow them to enable their mission, which I think is fantastic. Glad to hear that. Uh, Jim, how about over at TSA? There's a lot of cool stuff going on over there right now. And uh, um, I've heard about uh, touchless entry and all kinds of different crazy things going on. Give us an example of, of a program you'd like to highlight, uh, some activity that's going on over there at TSA. I would really like to highlight the human capital modernization that has um, recently rolled out. This has really given an opportunity and then aligned to the federal data strategy to look at the person, the identity of a person mm. and be able to follow this from an applicant to a candidate, to an employee, to a retiree. So it's really looking at the life cycle management of that data and then working to improve the user experience, working to share that data we are using that as a building block now to look at airport operations. It's, it's just often much more difficult to upgrade and modernize those operational activities. Um, so we're able to do that. We are able to also leverage good practices where we have hub spoke management. So at TSA, the authority really is with the federal security directors. So that's kind of lower level than just headquarters. But we need to be able to support that as they carry out the mission. Um, we are able to do that through a lot of self-service management, self-service data access, and uh, really application access that we don't handle necessarily at headquarters, but we push out to those 85 or so federal security directors. Uh, so those are the directors that are out in the field sort of running that airport operation, I would imagine. Yes, that includes, for example, Arizona, the entire state. 
Right. And, and one wouldn't think, you think oh, HR, right? And, and, and uh, modernizing HR, uh, obviously important, but is it key? Absolutely, it's key. You all are hiring in thousands and thousands of these, uh, these uh, inspectors, along with all these other people, um, um, uh, monthly, I would imagine, or, or certainly yearly. And uh, uh, certainly all of us that are the traveling public want to make sure that's going as efficiently as possible. So I'm glad to see that you're modernizing that activity. Uh, Lamont, let's talk about at Verizon, uh, a lot of activity going on over there. Give us an example of a program that you'd like to highlight uh, where you're right smack in the middle of one of these IT modernization activities or digital modernization, I think, as George pointed out. Yeah, no, thanks, uh, Luke. And yeah, and definitely want to hit on too with the business processes that George was talking about. I mean, we're looking at in the defense space with the DOD, with a couple of the, uh, the combatant commands on how we modernize their networks and the enterprise IT as a service. And what's key about that is we're looking at it from the end user standpoint and how do we start delivering services to the end user in a better way? So it's more than just looking at how do we just do a tech refresh or tech upgrades, but how do we then start in tandem, upgrading the upgrading the network services, providing connectivity between the all the compute infrastructure, other applications. How do we make sure that the network is available for them to be able to to go out and get to any of these applications from anywhere on a base or, or coming outside of a base, um, so that they can make sure that they're continue to move that mission forward. So it's really looking at how do we unify all the technologies together, um, network compute. Um, compute applications, make sure it's a seamless environment for those end users to be able to, to work and move their mission forward. Um, our main thing that we want to make sure is that we're working together with the Department of Defense to advance that mission, advance what they want to do, and then also assist with making sure that they're not just looking at this again, like a, as a tech up for upgrade, but then they're looking at this from how do I now provide more services? How do I you know, continue to innovate? And how do I continue looking at what each one of my end users need so that they can continue moving forward with what they have on a day-to-day -day basis and not have to worry about what's happening on the back end for the network. Right, and I think Katie pointed out, sort of gone are the days of sort of this tech upgrade. It's like, hey, I just need this a capability and I need it on demand, right? I need it when I need it and uh, I need it to be secure, reliable, affordable. Uh, and I need it uh, quickly, right? Uh, we, we, we can't go through these lengthy uh, upgrade cycles, uh, which are uh, sort of something uh, I would say from the past, uh, let's hope. Uh, Robert, let's talk about priorities. I'd like you to give your, you talked about a lot of things that you're working on over there at NASA. Let's talk about the, just sort of the, the top three, right? I'm sure you got 30. Uh, when you look at this year, what you're trying to do from now to the end of the year, you know, a few months out from that, what are the top three priorities in your job jar there? Uh, top three. So the biggest one is we are um, realigning all the NASA OCIO um, assets, everybody who does work within the OCIO shop across the 10 centers under a new concept of service line. So enterprise services, trying to improve the customer experiences, be more effective and efficient with our dollars, our limited dollars and things like that. So that is huge. That's gonna affect every uh, OCIO employee at NASA. Um, next would be um, modernization. I've mentioned our, our cloud modernization efforts. And then third, and I heard somebody mention this too, digital transformation, uh, supporting the agency in digital transformation. We are looking to provide platforms to allow our 
rocket scientists and other scientists who are you know, truly really smart people, the platforms to use uh, AI and ML and other types of advanced um, tools to conduct their research and to analyze data and things like that. So those to me are, are really three of our top um, priorities that we're dealing with at Goddard. Big one, certainly a massive one, and really setting the table to allow all these other things to uh, to be enabled, which sounds fantastic. Yep. Stephen, how about at Snowflake? Uh, no doubt uh, you all are uh, got a lot of activity going on internally within Snow Snowflake, and I'm sure you're getting a lot of demand signals in regards to uh, to activity that's going on uh, from the customers. Uh, what's the top couple of priorities for you there? Yeah, I think <clears throat> the first is, is, as I kind of mentioned earlier about kind of a data platform approach, right? Being able to handle, you mentioned before, the different, you know, types of data, right? There's um, some statistic that most of the world's data has been created in the last two years, right? And so you've got huge variety, you know, not just the typical, you know, legacy type, but, you know, semi-structured data and a lot of unstructured data. I talk about, you know, especially, you know, images and text and video and all this stuff coming in. Um, so having a single point of entry to be able to access and manage that data, right? Single security model um, has, has been a big thing that we've talked about not having a lot of moving parts. Um, I would say the other thing too is, is looking at when I'm talking to customers about data and their data operations, it's really thinking about it in terms of business processes, organizational processes that are driving, uh, creating that data, right? Data, is, data by itself without context has no meaning. Um, and so as you look across your organization, it's one of the interesting things you'll find is that data can have different meaning in different parts of your organization, right? And so being able to take, instead of looking at it from a systems view, which has been kind of the traditional approach and looking at it from an enterprise view, being able to not just correlate, but create um, relationships, build ontologies and things like that within your data, within your organization, it's been um, really interesting thing that I've been watching and, and working with customers on as well. Um, but I would say going back to the risk, really being able to manage a wide variety of data coming in at different velocities, varieties um, in a single platform. That's that's really been something that customers don't want to manage 10 different pieces of technology, right? They don't want to have to stitch all that together to make it work. Um, and so having that single point of entry, single model, single platform for all your different types of data to be able to serve that up to your communities of interest, whether they be rocket scientists or geneticists or logisticians. Um, it's been a huge uh, part of what we've been doing at Snowflake to serve our customers. Interesting catch when you talk about a wide variety of data, right? You know, sort of stuck in those silos being pulled out, but a wide uh, variety of types of data, imagery, uh, you know, audio, et cetera, et cetera, which is, uh, is very interesting and trying to stitch all that together and make it meaningful. No doubt that's a, a top priority. George, how about at DLA? Um, give us... Uh, your top three priorities, once again, I'm sure no question, you've got a long list. Give us the top three that you all are really focusing on over the next uh, six to, to nine to 12 months. On the uh, immediate future, next six months, our ERP to the uh, cloud migration, that's a, a big lift for us moving those uh, big systems uh, to the cloud. And that's a, a can't fail type mission. The uh, probably another thing is to continue, ER, to, if I may, ERPs being, for uh, example, enterprise what? resource planning, it's our transactional uh, systems. Okay, uh, it's really the systems that we use to conduct most of our business, you know, place orders, uh, you know, uh, collect data, uh, just the, you, the, the major systems that run the business, I guess, is uh, maybe the best way to put it. So, 
Okay, fantastic. Uh, a second thing is our uh, RPA or robotic process automation uh, mm -hmm. program. You know, we've had that going for about two years now. We've uh, developed well over 120 bots, most of which are unattended or, you know, fully automated, needing no human uh, or human credentials. But one of the things that we started testing last year and we're ready to roll out and scale this year is uh, uh, creating uh, citizen developers where, you know, the uh, RPA uh, or bot development uh, software is so uh, simple to use today that uh, we could now put the development of those bots uh, into the hands of the functional community. And our office now doesn't act as a throttle or bottleneck on deploying it. So now it allows, uh, allows you to scale much more quickly, uh, saving, you know, increasing the number of labor hours your bots contribute to the workforce and saving the you know, human wetware, the human cognitive tasks uh, for something that are much higher order than the road things that we do with their bots. Uh, the other thing uh, that uh, is kind of below the, uh, below the waterline, but important to our users, is to continue to try to improve latency uh, or reduce the latency on their network. Uh, uh, we're finding a lot of, a lot of times, uh, at least in DoD, hopping in and out of the uh, network, going through cloud access, internet access points, and sometimes fairly circuitous routes to get from one point to the next. If we just start doing better path planning and uh, relook at the way our data is flowing, we could uh, shave some milliseconds off and really improve the user experience there. And I think finally, just to uh, reemphasize what Stephen was talking about, I, I think our big priority is that we are reorganizing uh, the whole uh, DLA around data because that is the future uh, organization for analytics and data is certainly the feedstock for AI and ML for predictive decision-making. So uh, as part of that uh, data uh, reorganization, we are uh, embarking on data literacy programs to try to do what we did in the bot program and create citizen uh, developers were trying to create some sort of citizen data scientist uh, so they could start uh, folks out in the functional community areas can start taking control of their own data destiny by you know do it yourself so I love the fact that you're giving the warfighters the, the the power and the capability to develop their own RPAs on the ground and and uh, heavy lift on that ERP that sounds like the core system that essentially run DLA globally which is fascinating well you talked a little bit about uh, uh, response time and um, latency and hairpins and all these other things. Uh, so let's go over to Lamont at Verizon and give us uh, an update on the uh, top two or three priorities that uh, that Verizon is really focusing on at this point. Yeah, thanks. We're uh, definitely looking at trying to make sure we, we help all of our partners with improving latency, improving how the network runs and is efficient. Sure. And as you guys are much more aware, we're very much pushing on how do we bring the connectivity either through a wireless or a wireline network. Um, we have a lot of emphasis and push on making sure that with 5G and making sure that that effort is um, moving forward, whether it's bringing fixed wireless access so that we can have the connectivity from any of the different locations so we can move and help facilitate the movement of this data at low latency, or it's, you know, also connectivity for any of these systems and sensors and, and other capabilities that are out on in places like at airports or at, um, basis for uh, movement of, of uh, logistics and, and uh, machines and material going, making sure that there's a way for all the, the capabilities and technology and the data to move back and forth. So network um, is definitely key in making sure we have the connectivity piece there. And then security on top of it too, as well, is a um, very important mission for us, making sure that, you know, there's a zero trust um, uh, environment built so that, you know, when you know what users are coming in, where the data is going, 
how, how you're uh, encrypting and managing that data um, across the network um, and ensuring that you know there, there's zero leakage or, or, or zero loss of any of our intellectual property that we have as a nation. Uh, zero trust out of the box, very important. And we really do appreciate you making sure all that, uh, that, uh, that infrastructure is there and available uh, so that folks like Jim over at TSA can, uh, can do what he needs to do and what TSA needs to do. Why don't you give us your top three priorities, Jim? I know there's a lot of activity going on over there right now. There, there is a lot of activity going on at TSA and TSA has a very uh, structured and organized way of thoughtfully looking through all of the uh, various offices and efforts. Uh, we refer to that as, or that's called the administrator's intent. The administrator's mm. intent helps us prioritize at TSA. And there's one that we have for improving the business intelligence initiatives. This as well uh, to provide that access to the data, create a way to share data across the organization. We also want to support the federal data strategy to identify authoritative and trusted data sources, create those data stewards, really begin to um, operationalize the data across, the, across TSA. Uh, one way that we're doing that, uh, I can talk a little bit later, is through the use of a common lookup service. It's an information service that we've created to pull data out of the applications and then share it across applications. So we want to get more adoption with that common lookup service. And then finally, we want to finish the migration of the iShare to the cloud. Very much a focus on the cloud. And that's interesting that uh, administrator's intent, it seems like, uh, you know, sort of this North Star, if you will, uh, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, Katie, how about at uh, BMC? Uh, can you give us uh, your top couple of priorities that you all are focusing on right now? Yeah, well, if, we, if, if you listen to um, what folks have been saying throughout the program, our customers are coming to us wanting to move to SaaS, wanting to move to the cloud. And that's a huge priority for us, a huge focus for us to provide these secure environments that our customers in the federal space need. That's been top of mind for us for many years. We did FISMA back in the day, FedRAMP, and now we're into the impact levels. So that's a, that's a priority for us because it's a priority for our government customers. We also are looking at automation. So this goes back to what George said, his top two things were move to cloud and automation. We see that and we're in, in leveraging all sorts of artificial intelligence capabilities to help drive that automation because that automation will help make the missions easier and make the missions more successful for our federal customers. And the last key area, just from a top priorities perspective, is going back to Stephen talking about all of the data and how much there is out there. We recognize that our customers need a way in order for them to be able to understand and validate. And that citizen data scientist that, that George talked about before, we've got to be able to pull information from multiple sources into a single place where it can help provide visibility into what services it's actually supporting. And so that's a key priority for us. We call it dynamic service modeling, just ingesting information from all different places to show how a service that supports the mission is running and help us automate if things go wrong. Really is fascinating as we talk about IT modernization on this show. And we used to talk about, uh, I always called it players and wires and plumbing. Uh, where you know the majority of this conversation is about the data, so really moving up that uh, 
up that value chain, which I think is great. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We are committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future. We build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. Is your federal agency maintaining legacy IT, which could potentially be a cause for security risk? To serve the public with the security, speed, scale, and efficiency they have come to expect in the private sector, it's time to modernize. An expensive rip-and-replace is not the only way. Migrate your enterprise service desk to the AWS GovCloud with BMC for low-risk, low-cost, and a rapid time-to-market solution. Modernize with BMC in the AWS GovCloud. Visit bmc.com federal to learn more. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about IT modernization, getting into a lot of conversation about data and a lot of other activities. Um, wanted to talk about lessons learned. I think that's really important. I'm going to start with you over at uh, DLA. George, give us some, uh, some lessons learned that you're uh, encountering as you embark on this journey. Yeah, we have, we have no shortage of lessons learned. So we just don't want to keep relearning the, the same ones. But I think probably the biggest uh, learning that we've uh, had so far is that IT modernization or DBX, digital business transformation that we call, is really not about technology at all. It's really about change management. It's getting people to think differently. And so the, the things that seem to hold up the... Uh, the progress are less about technology and more about mental models. Mm -hmm. So the soft skills are the things that matters that seem to matter a lot more in a digital business transformation than the hard technical skills, which kind of sounds counterintuitive when you start thinking IT, everybody thinks it's a you know, technical field, but getting people to think differently, embrace a new way of doing business and getting, getting humans just to change in general is, is, is a difficult thing. And so when you couple technology to that, sometimes people feel threatened, their jobs may change, their jobs may go away, they may feel uh, uh, that they have to learn, get overwhelmed, uh, stuff that they've been doing for a long time, habit patterns are changing. So uh, we really underestimated how big of a lift the change management side was, and now we're focusing much more on that. Interesting to sort of, you know, uh, unblock and untether these folks and allow them just to, to focus on the art of the possible um, uh, as they embark into this new modern journey. Robert, how about at uh, NASA? No doubt you've had some lessons learned there as you're rolling out these various capabilities. Well, it's exactly what George was talking about. It's the people factors. How do we change culture? to focus on the important things, whether it's uh, cybersecurity, um, ensuring we've got secure platforms, we're using common controls, things like that. So it's really that culture. And one of the things uh, 
I've learned, <laughs> it's actually been reiterated very, very recently is culture trumps everything, right? It's, it's not about the technology, it's about getting people to think differently and focus on what are they doing and how are they gonna do it? And that things will be okay in the long run. Yes, we're always gonna be changing. So uh, come with us, come on the journey and we'll end up in a good place. So exactly the way George described it. And again, culture trumps uh, strategy, frankly, every day. Right. That's sort of that, uh, you know, I, I always hear about this red law and blue law, you know, red laws, you know, are actually laws in, 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 in writing. Blue laws are these ones that are sort of just formed over time, let's say. Jim, how about a TSA? Undoubtedly, you have a lot of lessons learned there as you're embarking on uh, the, the journey of modernizing and doing all the various things, addressing the, uh, the commander's intent, if you will, the, the administrator, administrator's intent. Yeah, so TSA, we've we've learned as well that IT modernization really isn't about picking a new application and installing it and, and rolling it out. Um, we we've learned that each application comes along with bolted alongside a brand new data model. So this brand new data model is probably something quite different than your organization's currently using. So if you don't take the time up front to really work looking at the data and how the data is gonna be used, not just the application. The application is certainly important, but the data is what really drives those operation and those operational activities. Um, we know that IT and business do need to work together on these use cases. IT knows part of the solution. The business knows part of the solution. They really need to get together, they, but they don't, neither one really understands it all. So uh, not, not in most cases. So I think that you know, certainly working together and taking the time up front before you, you just push the easy button and push out a module will really, um, really help improve operations. Right, sort of uh, focusing on that end state in mind and then working your way backwards to, okay, what steps do I need to do uh, to, to get to this, this place we're trying to get to? Uh, well, we're gonna circle back and I'm gonna start with you, Katie. And we're going to talk about the future future, if you will, not 10 years out, probably not even five years out. But what does it look like three years out? Uh, if you want to incorporate, you know, your top lesson learned in there, uh, have at it. Uh, but uh, what does it look like for BMC? What, what's kind of coming out of the Petri dish, the demand signal that you're getting? Uh, and what does it look like when one looks around? What, 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 uh, what do you all imagine the environment will be at that state? That's a fantastic question. And I'm we have been doing significant work with some of our, particularly our DOD partners in the edge and however anyone wants to define the edge. Mm -hmm. But really the concept that we see is going to be, and this isn't just by the way for federal, it's certainly not just for Department of Defense, but really for, for anybody who's got a lot of, of items in their network that would be considered the internet of things. So we're working with organizations, particularly in the DOD, on a concept called a digital twin. So imagine if you take a fighter jet and you use all of the instrumentation that's in that fighter jet and you create a digital copy of that, that mm. you can monitor, that you can automate remediations if something goes wrong. Think about what that means to the warfighter in terms of the ability to get back up and running, the ability to anticipate problems before they happen and leveraging a foundation of artificial intelligence to help predict that is going to be huge. And that's gonna be in the next two to three years thing. Our innovation labs are working, not like I said, not just with Department of Defense customers, but also working with energy utilities, thinking about 
mapping a digital twin of bulk electric system components. So we see that as, as truly the future, harnessing the power of the instrumentation in IoT to build out something that's going to fundamentally change the way that, that people manage their infrastructure. Fantastic, and I, I'm sure that everyone is happy to hear that because uh, you know, we know that edge computing, big deal these days, and the IoT, et cetera, and collection. Uh, uh, thank you very much for that, Stephen. How about at Snowflake? Uh, undoubtedly, uh, you all are, are are cooking up sort of the next generation of of what the uh, the ecosystem is going to expect as far as uh, interpreting, processing data, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it continues to build on, you know, what you mentioned, the, the processing of data in in a lot of different ways, right? Because you, you've got a, a lot of different types. You've got the traditional you know, kind of the business intelligence use case, but you're seeing more and more of the data science use case. And, and data science is really kind of talking about like AI, right? It's, it's kind of a nebulous term, right? It's really about the business. Um, and so when you think about a data scientist, a data scientist is typically gonna be a logistician or somebody else that has domain expertise. And so really starting to look at different business and tuning to like, you know, medical, for example, the healthcare industry or logistics. Um, starting to really focus on automating some of the, you know, and I'll use AI as kind of a broad term, um, use cases from within the data platform itself to deliver on some of those. So I think over, you know, the other thing I think is you'll see the um, more of the consolidation of, you know, the data um, across the enterprise where you're seeing a single, we, we talk about, you hear about 360 views and things like that, but what does that really mean in the context of the business, right? How do you, how do you integrate all that and make it in a way that's searchable, that's relatable to the business? And so um, we talk a lot about the, the culture and, and part of that starts with working backwards from, you know, my customers in that sense are the logisticians and things like that. So understanding what they need to drive value. And you're going to see some of that creep its way back into these, you know, the data platform itself. Um, so that it's able to deliver that with the lowest amount of friction possible to that community of interest. A lot of important things to focus on there. We really do appreciate it. Lamont, uh, we had 3G, 4G, 5G, you know, three years from now, it'll be table stakes. Is there going to be a six and a seven? I mean, what's it going to look like in two to three years? What can one expect? Yeah, I mean, there could be a definite possibility of those. Uh, we're still waiting and, and working on those and seeing what there are. But a lot of what we're talking about here today, just, you know, I think with the world and the way it is today, we've seen a lot of what we thought would be happening three to five years from now accelerated into today and how we need to make sure that we have connectivity to all this different type of information that's out there, whether it's being something that's going to be inside of a mobile edge compute to be able to support um, all these end applications or the real time focus um, capabilities that are out there and sensors or connectivity back to things inside of a, a, what I would say is a traditional brick and mortar data center or cloud um, infrastructure. How are you gonna have connectivity between those things to make sure that people can work where they need to, how they need to, and um, in the manner that they need to. And a lot of that needs to look at, you know, when we're trying to make sure there's connectivity in these end-to-end -end view of the solutions is, how do we look at those outcomes? Um, and make sure that we're driving to the outcomes of what those end users are, are going to be, whether it's in the defense space, civilian space, or anywhere um, that we, we work in. Um, we want to make sure that we don't fall back on what we look at used to in the past of so silos and saying, okay, what is my specific requirement I'm trying to, how much bandwidth do I need or how much compute do I need? It's really, you know, 
how do those those individual technology pieces fit together to drive an outcome for that end user? And that's what we're looking at here at Verizon when we bring in all the connectivity pieces, the security pieces to secure that, and then how you know make sure those applications move and flow from where the you know the data is to that end user that needs it to, to complete whatever they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think the the the, the day comes where uh, let's say a gym says, "Look, I just need full motion video in this airport at this time." for this length of time, it just sort of happens, right? There isn't a whole lot of uh, wrangling going on in the background. It just, uh, I'll say, appears um, uh, based on the, uh, the capability that you have. Jim, um, three years from now, right? Uh, you've got your, your cloud rolled out. You've got your HR stuff rolled out. Uh, what does it look like for a field service director? What does it look like for the traveling public? What does it look like for an application developer? Uh, in that environment three years from now? What's the, uh, what's the goal? What's uh, the focus? For TSA, I'm happy to start from an application developer perspective. Um, we have created a, a self-service data access for developers. We've created this uh, common lookup service. It includes information because it includes the relations of checkpoints and airports and equipment. It's about 20,000 records. Uh, it's refreshed every night. The information that it pulls from also tracks what was the previous value, what's the current value, you know, it's all the data management. Who changed it? When was it changed? We want to use that and other techniques to create trust. I think at TSA, you know, we until we're able to work across offices better, sharing data, you know, I, I think that's two to five years. What we'll have in from an equipment standpoint, we will have more sensor technology, we will have more touchless uh, capabilities, uh, but the data still has to tie across the organization. So I think that from a federal data strategy, we will really be able to improve. Right. Uh, I would imagine the day will come when you have sort of this touchless or more touchless uh, environment experience in an airport. And certainly that data needs to be secure, needs to be collected properly, it needs to be integrated properly uh, so that you can make those real-time decisions and enhance that experience and do it in a, uh, in a, uh, a meaningful manner and respecting the rights and you know civil liberties and all those other things that you have to deal with, undoubtedly. Robert, how about at uh, NASA? You know, are, are we going to be on Mars in three years? Are you going to be in the middle of that? What's going on here? Are we going to the moon? What's happening? Tell us uh, about well, what it's going to look like in three years in regards to your environment and what you can expect uh, to have achieved. Uh, well, well, it's interesting. We're not going to be with humans on Mars in three years, but the goal is to have within a couple of years, three years actually, have um, humans back on the moon, the first woman and the first person of color uh, on the moon. So we're working uh, through the Artemis program very diligently to bring all the pieces together to make that happen. Uh, one, uh, one facet that I find really interesting is the, um, the communications. Okay, you know, there's no communication set up on, on the moon right now. And so we're working on something called Lunar Net which would be essentially an internet communications tool surrounding the moon to give our, our missions the opportunity, uh, both uh, once they're on the, on the moon and also uh, the orbiting missions, the ability to have seamless communications uh, to, to and from each other and all the way back to Earth. So that's one of the things that we're, we're focusing on from a telecommunications perspective is how do we enhance those communications techniques uh, in space 
to make sure that they're um, uh, resilient, reliable, and um, able to transmit vast amounts of data. So that's one of the things that, that's really on our plate for 2024. Artemis is actually NASA's overall top priority. That's where you're really focusing a lot of attention. No doubt that you're focusing a lot of attention on, on just sort of your the, 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 the bottom layer infrastructure and ecosystem to enable all those things to happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And you know, what's again, what's interesting is the challenges that we have from um, for space communications, you know, space is a, a very forbidding place. There's a lot of radiation. There's a lot of changes that are constantly going on, things that we don't think about, something called space weather. And how do we connect back to the earth? We have um, transmission stations all around the earth. And how can we take advantage of commercial um, solutions to better utilize the commercial um, products out there um, rather than build it ourselves. You know, if we've got uh, uh, communications coming in from uh, Norway, we have a tracking station in Norway, do we need to own all the equipment there? Or can we utilize um, uh, the commercial sector to provide those services, tie us into um, uh, cloud services and be able to um, share the uh, the data much quicker, get it back to the sources where we need, et cetera. So we're, 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 you know, there's a lot of things going on all around the, the uh, earth to um, improve the way we communicate, the, the way we exchange data, and the way we um, are able to uh, meet our mission. And uh, hats off to the uh, private-public partnership that uh, that NASA has embarked on over the last few years. George, take us home uh, with Defense Logistics Agency. Uh, what are you expecting to see over the course of the next three years as you uh, embark on those various activities that you've got going on that you highlighted earlier in the show? Well, I- I'll tell you something that I'd like to see uh, is that, uh, you know, this whole conversation today seemed to have a, a recurring theme of, of data. So data is pretty much at the center of everything that an organization does. You know, you have software, uh, it produces data and data is tortured to give you insight and to make decisions. So, so when I look at our uh, job series codes for civilian workforce, the uh, civilian classification codes, mm. there is no civilian classification code for a software engineer. There is not one for a data scientist. There's not one for a data architect. There's nothing for data curators. So in a modern knowledge economy where data is at the center of everything that you do, we do not have the ability to get the right people into our workforce because of our civilian classification codes or our civilian personnel system. So in the next three, three or four or five years from now, I would sure like OPM to try to correct that so we could start hiring and uh, recruiting the right talent to help us solve these problems. A uh, very important uh, area to focus on because it's all about the talent to enable these various things to happen. It's been a fascinating show and I just wanna thank all of you uh, uh, for, uh, for uh, fighting the good fight and all the things that you do to, to make this uh, country safe, secure, et cetera, and taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us for the program. I'd like to thank all of our sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.